President Trump announced today that the U.S. will pull out of the Iran deal and said, quote, when I make promises, I keep them. Then Melania laughed so hard her mouth fell off. Wow. That would be a medical curiosity. Uh, Utah couple doing yard work found a skeleton in the yard, which would get your attention, from the Ice Age. Wow. What kind of yard work are they doing? Uh, Had another good story I was going to tease. I don't remember what it is. Naked museum going? That's a trend. Yeah, got to talk about that. Among those who are parts of that sort of trend. Another woman who unfortunately one time dated that scumbag uh, attorney general in New York, former attorney general, what he was like as one of the leaders of the hashtag MeToo movement. God dang it. Weird people are weird. Yeah, yeah. And this guy was, he was an absolute con man. Speaking of... Con men. Certainly some people view Donald J. Trump, the president of the United States, as one. Didn't Mitt, Mitt Romney say that? Mitt Romney called him that specifically. He's a con man. He's a con He's a fraudster. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Exactly. Loser. So the big move yesterday to pull the U.S. out of the uh, JCPOA, the Iran nuke deal, as it's popular. That Mr. Trump is a con man, a fake. Mm-hmm. Wow. A fake con man or a con man? Anyway. Um, so I did a bunch of reading about it yesterday because I agree with some of the euros that there's no plan B and I felt like the deal was kind of a keep your enemies closer uh, type maneuver, but I wanted to really understand what the Trump administration is trying to do because it's really hard to get that off of cable news. I mean, virtually any broadcast news, uh, David Sanger and David Kirkpatrick in the New York times wrote a really good piece on what the strategy is. And how it could work. And I will tell you this. Anybody spouting certainty about any of this is a liar. Or they're a, they're a con man. A fake. They're trying to convince you of something. Which is fine. They get to do that. But all of these maneuvers are bets and hopes. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, David Ignatius, Washington Post. He covers this for uh, this, this kind of thing for the Washington Post. And he said at the time that it was a, it was a gamble. Right. It was a gamble. Might turn out great. Might turn out awful. I think the lead is useful here from the New York Times. For President Trump and two of the allies he values most, Israel and Saudi Arabia, the problem of the Iranian nuclear accord was not primarily about nuclear weapons. It was that the deal legitimized and normalized Iran's clerical government. Mm. It made them much more easy for them to function with uh, oil revenue, etc., etc., um, which financed its adventures in Iraq and Syria. More on that. Its missile program and its support of terrorist groups. Now, by announcing on Tuesday that he is exiting the nuclear deal and will reimpose economic sanctions on Iran and countries around the world that do business with the country, Mr. Trump is engaged in a grand, highly risky experiment. Sanger continues, and if you don't know his work, yeah, I know the New York Times. I know it as well as y'all do, um, and they are just wildly left usually. But David Sanger is a great writer about international relations and arms and the rest of it. And he would have been on Charlie Rose talking about this for an hour if Charlie Rose could keep his wiener in his pants. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Trump and his Middle Eastern allies are betting that they can cut Iran's economic lifeline and thus break the regime, as one Uh, diplomat described it. In theory, America's withdrawal could free Iran to produce as much nuclear material as it wants, which is what it was doing about five years ago 
when the world feared it was headed toward a bomb. But Mr. Trump's team dismisses that risk. Iran does not have the economic strength to confront the United States, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. And Iran knows that any move to produce a weapon that would only would only provide Israel and the U.S. with a rationale for taking military action. And, and, and he's apparently betting on, similar with North Korea, that they would believe he would. Yes. Yeah. The maniac uh, theory. Um, Europe is saying it's a historic mistake. It's very un-Obama. Now, Obama's gamble in his deal, the JCPOA, was that Iran is potentially a more natural ally than of the U.S. than its Sunni neighbors. Young, educated, Western-oriented population, that is all true. That is tired of being ruled by an aging theocracy. That is very true. They have terrible domestic problems. Um, By taking the, back to Sanger's article, by taking the prospect of nuclear weapons off the table, the Obama administration had argued the U.S. and Iran could chip away at three decades of hostility and work on common projects, starting with the defeat of the Islamic State. It did not turn out that way. While the deal succeeded in getting 97% of Iran's nuclear material out of the country, their conservatives and military recoiled at the idea of cooperating with the West on any project. And uh, months before it became clear that Mr. Trump might get elected, the Iranian military increased support for Assad in Syria, expanded its influence in Iraq, accelerated its support for terrorist groups. It doubled down on deploying cyber attacks against targets in the West and Saudi Arabia, embracing a weapon that was not covered by the nuclear accord. In short, and again, this is David Sanger in the New York Times, Obama's gamble failed on every level except pushing back the timetable for an Iranian nuke. You got to remember Chuck Schumer was against the Obama deal. That's right. At the among time, other well, Democrats. Well, a lot of people. Were, yeah, yeah, among other Democrats. Yeah. Um, then Sanger goes back, the kind of in, leans in the other direction, and uh, who's the other guy? Uh, Kirkpatrick. And point out that in this speech, Trump made it sound like Iran was cheating on the accord, even though all the world leaders and some of his own cabinet say, no, they aren't really. Um, well, so that's why he was, he's been saying all along, or, or, um, uh, Tillerson would say, um, they're, they're specifically not in violation of the agreement, but the, they're violating the spirit of the deal. The, uh, right. The hope of it. By continuing to support terrorism against our interests around the world. Right. Right. And, and, you know, one of the other aspects of this, well, no, that's a tangent. I'll get to it later, maybe. <clears throat> Um, there's very little evidence of a plan B. Boris Johnson, the British foreign minister, whose hair is only slightly less wacky than Trump's pointed out. Uh, but exiting the deal with or without a plan is fine with the Saudis. They see the accord as a dangerous distraction from the real problem of confronting Iran around the region. A problem that Saudi Arabia believes will be solved only by leadership changes in Iran. So, in other words, you know, you've got a violent, drunk, angry, crazy neighbor. And he and you manage to get his guns taken away, but virtually every day he throws bricks through your windows and attacks you with a ball bat. And the police come to your house every day and say, "We took his guns away," and then they drive away. That's Here it what comes. Saudi, Everybody's guns are going to be taken that's away. That's right, Mr. President. That's what <laughs> Saudi Arabia is saying. Well, thanks for taking his guns away, but he just raped my wife. We took his guns away, and then they drive away. That's the way the region sees the agreement. 
But uh, how about the whole we'll punish people who do business with Iran? Are we going to level sanctions against Great Britain, France, and Germany if they do business with Iran? That's the, the Here comes a whole uh, poo load of diplomacy. Hard to imagine. It's going to be, well... Uh, that's what we're going to try to do. We're going to twist arms and, and, and spread money around and assure people of, you know, we'll do this deal with you. <clears throat> but we're going to go back to a 2012-ish situation where we're putting enormous pressure on people to make it very, very hard to enrich the Iranian regime, um, including our, our closest allies. And you're right. That's going to be a heavy lift, diplomatically speaking. Um, At least one guest I saw on MSNBC yesterday said that Trump was pulling out of the Iran deal to uh, distract from the Stormy Daniels deal. No, that's ridiculous. Well, it ignores the fact that he he mentioned it in every single stump speech he did for two years. Right, right. That he wanted to get out of it. You know, I could go more into the Saudi point of view and and actually all the Gulf states. um, And they're talking about, um, well, the Saudi foreign minister asserted Iran is the biggest problem we face in our region. He mentioned... Um, interference in neighboring countries, uh, arming groups in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, Yemen, and elsewhere, supplying Yemeni, Yemeni rebels with ballistic missiles, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and Jeremy Shapiro is with the European Council on Foreign Relations and was a State Department official with the Obama crowd, argued that the nuclear deal's opposition, opposition from Saudi, Israel, and other regional players was primarily about its effects on American politics and policy. This I found really interesting. They believe that they are in this existential conflict with the Iranian regime and nuclear weapons are a small part of that conflict, but it's the only thing the American public pays attention to. Mm. And so they are screaming, we get that you took their gun for a while. They're raping our wives and beating our children with ball bats. This is not a victory. And so that is why Trump is doing what he wants. Now, you might think he's an idiot. You might think it's a mistake. You might prefer the Euro model to all this. But the idea that it's merely uh, Trump going off half-cocked is just not so. John Bolton, on the other hand, has a great history of being wrong about stuff. And he's he's a real uh, regime changer and, and uh, interceder in other nations' affairs. So I Obama's, agree with him about half the time. So Obama's idea was a gamble, and uh, Trump's idea is a gamble. Right. Which is what happens when you got really thorny questions. There's yeah. no, this will work out great answer to these things. Yeah. So I hope you found that at least mildly interesting. I have no idea if it'll work, but I get it more than I did before. Hmm. Um. Oh, look, there's Stormy Daniels, quote unquote, attorney breaking news on Michael Cohen's financing. Yeah, we're going to what we've got a Washington Post reporter about an hour from now on uh, that whole thing. Russian oligarch money, Trump Cohen thing. So we'll get into that later. Does Jenna Jameson's housekeeper have news on autonomous vehicles or what? What what is go? Why are porn people's employees breaking news? What's happening? Another woman has detailed her nightmare date with the repulsive Schneiderman, the former attorney general in New York. This guy was so freaking, is so freaking crazy. The virtue signaling woman beater. Who was, you know, at least being looked at as a possible presidential candidate for the Democrats. He was a rock star. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
Well, where'd you go to college? Hanover College. Hanover College. Yeah. Mike Pence was a student at Hanover College while you were there. Yes, that's true. And you true. knew him? I know him. We're both very religious. It was a Presbyterian <laughs> college at the time. Uh -huh. And I was there on a Presbyterian scholarship. And really? he was involved with the, you know, church activities. When you say you were there on a Presbyterian scholarship, were you, you were so good at being Presbyterian, they, <laughs> they drafted you and gave you a, a scholarship? You know, I was actually considering being a minister, and then I just kind of went a different way. Yeah, you did. <laughs> That's you know what, I remember, I, I actually quite liked him. I, I thought he was a pretty good guy. You know, he's very, you know, very religious, very uh, committed. Seeing it how I'm not quite in that ballpark now, I don't, I don't know how we get along. That's Woody Harrelson on with the Jimmy Kimmel. Of course, Jimmy Kimmel wanted Woody Harrelson to say awful things about Mike Pence. Yeah, And not say he's actually a nice guy. No, he can't be. <laughs> he can't be. He disagrees with me. He's going to be an evil person with bad motives. Uh, Woody Please. Harrelson, an interesting dude. Yes, he is. No National treasure. Woody Harrelson. <laughs> I just forget about it. I think about his philosophy a lot, and I apply it whenever I can with lots of different things. I just forget about it. It works. It really does. It really does work on a lot of things. Don't sweat the small stuff. Or even some of the big stuff. If there's nothing Don't you can... Don't sweat. <laughs> if, you can, if there's nothing you can do about it. Right. <laughs> if it's just, Amen. I just forget about it. Acceptance. Hmm? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, naked museum going, and then we got to... Oh, it's the latest trend, Jack. How Everybody's doing it. If, uh, you know, going to an art museum isn't uh, impressive enough, you have to be part of an edgy new movement of art museums. The headline in the New York Times, I went to, I went naked to a museum, and it was revealing. Was it? The Palais de Tokyo, a contemporary art museum in Paris was uh, the site of the trip from uh, the Alsace region in eastern France, etc., etc. The Palais de Tokyo's visit naturiste, first of its kind in France, has garnered a remar remarkable amount of public interest since it was announced. Over 30,000 people indicated on Facebook that they were interested in touring the art museum naked. Because? Uh, because that uh, exposes you to the art, I guess, in some way. Exposes you to the elements. Or, uh, <laughs> or, or something. I cannot imagine. When you strip away the superficial, you can really absorb the message and the metaphors and what the artist is trying to communicate. Because, with, Jack, the things you own end up owning you. <laughs> if you so bear it, yourself, you make yourself more open to receiving the art or some bull crap of that sort. Okay. Although I did enjoy the lead paragraph of the article in which the guy who showed his wang to the art says, <laughs> the most uncomfortable... Showed his wang to the art. <laughs> the, which is what you're doing. Hey, Rembrandt, can you see my privates? Can you, can you? No, we are showing each ourselves to each other. It is a two-way street with Please art. Please shut up. The most uncomfortable thing about being naked in a museum, it turns out, is the temperature. Yeah, a bet. half hour into the first nudist tour of the Palais de Tokyo... I had gotten used to the feeling of exposure, but I hadn't acclimated to the cold air circulating through the cavernous galleries. Standing in the politically-themed exhibition by the French-Algerian artist Neil Balufa, I began shaking my arms for warmth. They shrink? What? Shrinkage. In drawing this, etc., etc., other members of the group jiggled around to heat up. 
Maybe we should just walk around the corner so we can stand in the sun for a while, the tour guides. Maybe you should wear clothes like a normal person. (laughs) Yeah, maybe you should don some garments. God dang it. You need have some freaking children. That's what so many people need to do. Have some damn children and some never-ending responsibilities, and you won't have one second's time to think, I wonder what it would be like to go to the museum naked. You won't have time to go to the museum. You won't have time to eat. You won't have time to do a lot of freaking things. Now, if Captain Shallow is through with his little screed, I'd like to quote the tour guide. I am hoping the experience of leaving their clothes at the door will help them leave some part of their identity with it and experience it with more openness. Yeah, whatever. God dang it. The, 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 the people in that world have no time for my world, and right. I have no time for their world. Jack, if I might <laughs> add a tad more fuel to the fire, keep in mind now, this is modern art. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Which is a ruse. Would you like to <laughs> I confess don't the one thing you have in common with Hitler? We both hate modern art. There you go. Hitler was right about that. Modern <laughs> art is stupid. And he was an artist. I'm not a fan of Hitler. Um, so, uh, I'm going to try it at a ball game. I feel like leaving my clothes at the turnstile will leave part of my identity with it, and I'll experience the game with more openness. There you go. No, hope Brought no, himself out. Hope no foul balls come your way. So this, uh, Schneiderman guy, he was the attorney general of New York, and of course, you don't know his name. I didn't know his name on, on the western half of the United States. He's a big deal on the East Coast, certainly a big deal in New York, and a super leader of the whole, finally, hashtag me too, women, we're going to take these guys down. And he, as attorney general in New York, was going after anybody who had committed any of these crimes in New York. He even, he even was involved in passing some sort of choking law in New York State. Right, if you choke somebody till they pass out, it's a felony, which it ought to be. Uh, yeah. Uh, because uh, they felt like men were getting away with this with women. And and it turns out he chokes women all the time. How crazy is that? He got a choking law passed, and he would take home dates the first time he met them and start choking them. Crazy. Yeah. But anyway, this woman uh, detailed her nightmare blind date with Schneiderman in the New York Post yesterday. She went out with him one time, blind date. He picks her up in a fancy car with flowers, which is a little too much for a first blind date it seemed to me but anyway um they go out to eat he drinks a lot i mean a lot a lot like a couple of bottles of wine and then scotch after that it's a great idea on a first date uh, he drives them home she thought i don't know what else to do he's the driver whatever and she said to him at one point um you've had an awful lot of to drink and he wasn't driving very well and he said i'm a state senator i rule this neighborhood which gives you an idea of his oh, attitude on that boy Women are impressed by that sort of uh, hubris. She gets a text from a friend, says, uh, come over to this party. She says, hey, let's go to this party. And and he says, who was that? Some guy I knew in high school. How well did you know him? Who is this guy? Did you ever blank his blank? And starts screaming at her. And uh, she demands to get let out of the car. And that was the whole date. But that's the kind of guy he was. This guy was a showboating punk, and he was a huge hit. We'll talk more about him. What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Iran hardliners delighted Trump's pulled out of the nuke deal, and the California gubernatorial debate gets very personal. Yes! Coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. More of that, not less, on the Armstrong and Getty Show. How do you feel about your birthday, Marshall? I'm embracing it. 
You are. You mean uh, there you go. Far, it's a good idea. As far as the passage of time, or yeah, the last couple of I, I've I've not enjoyed. Maybe I can get back to enjoying them again someday, but. Well, I think that's silly, Jack, and, and dumb. You need to accept the world as it is, says a guy who became depressed this morning because I noticed that the sky was glowy. And the days are obviously much longer right yeah. now. And it dawned on me we're only five weeks away from the longest day of the year, which means the days start getting shorter. And that brought me down. <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> Thank you, I, I refer to December 21st as National Optimism Day. Sure. Yeah. Because the days start getting longer. And right. June 21st, for all its sunshiny glory, right. is National Pessimism Day. Right. Mm, there you go. And there remember, I celebrated oh by going out and buying a couch. And you can uh, go ahead and, and check scratchers. out. And Yeah, and scratchers. You can uh, check out the couch at armstrongandgettyradio.com. It is a lovely divan. Yes. No doubt. And who yes. wouldn't want to take the time to see your new couch? Indeed. Uh, let's get the exemplary news. sofa. <laughs> let's get the news now, Marshall Phillips. Well, we've got three U.S. citizens on their way back to the U.S. after North Korea released them earlier today. President Trump tweeting this morning that the men, a businessman, an accountant, and a teacher, walk were, into a bar, were flying home with Secretary of State Mike Pompeo. One reporter has observed the men were able to walk to Pompeo's plane without assistance. That's why we are assuming they are in good that's health. That's all we have about their health. Yeah, Who the freak knows? They yeah. pumped up, uh, what's his name? I can't remember. Otto Warm Beer. They, they, they pumped up Otto full of drugs to, 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 to try to keep him somewhat upright before he got home and died from being beaten to death. So we don't know what kind of condition these people are in. Boy, they, and, if, and if they tortured them, that's really going to throw a wrench in things. Well, remember, the Americans were brought to that hotel a couple of weeks ago, yeah, uh, you know, the, maybe to get fattened well, up. Yeah, and, they've been nursing them back to yeah. health. Here's one of your college-level tough ethical things. So if they did torture these people, um, you know, horribly, out, outside of any international norms, do you let that get in the way of an overall deal that would be good for America and the world? No, you can't. You can't. Uh, but it wouldn't be much justice for them. Right. No, and, and you ought to do something to address that. You know, some some human rights demands or... Do you, even, do you even keep it quiet, though? I mean, you get into the ethics of it. Do you even try to keep it quiet? That's been the history of these things. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So you don't uh, cause problems. For the people. greater good. Which, right. And it's difficult, to ar- it's, it's difficult to argue against that. It's just a bitter, bitter pill to swallow. Sure. Iranian leaders lashing out at President Trump for pulling out of the Iran oh, nuclear shut deal. Shut up, you totalitarian mullahs. Iran who, who cares what you think, you... Weird beard. You weird bearded, 8th century, <laughs> oppressive, human right, rapist, torturing scum. What who a, care what you think? Shut up. Let your people be free, you inexcusable a-holes. What a weird country. It's been what it is now for going on 40 years, and nobody really knows who's in charge. Nobody in the outside world. Maybe they don't even know inside I Iran. think it's probably one of those. It's an uneasy balance. Iranian leaders, or lawmakers rather, chanting death to America and lighting a paper U.S. flag on fire in the country's parliament. Death to America has about as much meaning to me at this point as, are you ready to rock? <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's what they say. Somebody scream. This morning, <laughs> I want to hear you scream. Yeah, okay. I don't, I don't want to scream. What if I don't want to? This morning, the president's national security advisor, John Bolton, was talking to CBS this morning, and Bolton responded to the possibility of war with Iran. I think Iran is bringing us closer to war with its belligerent activity in Iraq and Syria. You know, they've been moving 
missiles. The Revolutionary Guard's Quds Force has been moving missiles into Syria that can hit any target inside Israel. That's why we've seen uh, recent Israeli strikes. It's that aggressive militaristic behavior by Iran on the ground in the region that's the real threat. That's a pretty good point yeah. there, Mustache. It I mean, is, it seriously is. Yeah. It's beyond question that Iran is maneuvering to be able to more effectively attack Israel. Yeah. In Syria in particular, which is right next door if you don't know the geography. And the top six candidates for California governors sparred over issues from immigration and taxes to infidelity in the last major debate of the race before the June primary. How did infidelity factor into the debate? Tuesday's debate in San Jose got intensely personal at times as Democratic frontrunner Gavin Newsom and former L.A. Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa got asked about affairs they'd had while they were in office. Uh, why? Yes. Republicans. fun. Uh, who asked? Did the the mod- Moderators asked that? No. You pipe down. Let's hear about it. <laughs> Republican Travis Allen went after Newsom, who had a tryst with a close friend's wife who worked for him when he was wow. mayor of San Francisco. Damn it, I knew I should have watched this. If you can't trust Gavin with his best friend's wife, how can you trust him with your state? Yeah! Newsom. Yeah! In the year 2018. Oh, what did the crowd do? You, cut off, you can't cut off the crowd reaction after something like that. In the year 2018, with the president we have... <laughs> In a California race, right. you think that's going to matter? Come on. It's a great line, though. Newsom responding. I was honest about it. I was open about it. I apologize for it. I was wrong. Whoops. Sorry about that. <laughs> sorry about having hey, sex dude, with your wife, sorry best about friend. That. Yeah. 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 Newsom. <laughs> sorry, sorry, honey. Um, mm, I'm so, sorry, people. Uh, whoops. Now, I'm, you know, yeah. I, I like the gossip as much as anybody, yeah. but I just, I just don't think there's any room for that. I just don't think it matters. All right, right, whatever. On to Villaraigosa's affair. Did we talk about that as well? Yeah, Villaraigosa got asked about his affair that he had with a TV reporter while he was married. I also acknowledge uh, that I made a mistake. Uh, I lost my marriage. Uh, I lost my family for a time. Uh, I took responsibility for it. There you go. Report on this, baby. Oh, yeah. What what answer do you want out of him? I guess you're just bringing it up to put it out there, hoping it damages him, because there's no answer that makes any difference. You know, Villaraigosa's answer was actually pretty good. You know, I've, I've been punished terribly for this. It was a, a mistake. So do you want me to be the governor or not? That's pretty funny. I say I know you do, Arnold. <laughs> if it has a pulse. Gavin Newsom's got a firm lead in the polls. And five other major candidates now seeking to come in second, second for one of the two slots in the November general election. So I saw a poll yesterday in which Cox was basically tied with Gavin Newsom, but I have no idea as to the legitimacy of that poll. They were both at, he was actually ahead. Cox was ahead 23 to 22, but mm. ah, who knows? Uh, yeah, I don't, uh, to whatever extent anybody's paying attention right. or knows who right. they like or whatever. Right. Or, right. And, and you know, honestly, we spend way too much time, we the people, focused on Beltway gossip, to my mind, when there's sure. a hell of a lot yeah. going on in your state, your city, mm-hmm. your county, I'd your like town. To know, I'd like to know how many people watched the governor's debate for the biggest state in the country. It wouldn't be very many. Nope. But I will tell you this, Sleepy Chuck Todd was pretty energetic. Oh, Sleeping Chuck at Sleeping Sunday. Yes, right. Yes. How yeah. can you watch him? He was the moderator. He was uh, he was on fire in his own Sleepy Chuck Todd kind of way. By your standards, you're low energy, Marshall. No stamina. <laughs> Look at your push-ups, huh? Hey now, hey now. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips. The Armstrong and Giddy Show, the conscience of the nation. So it was a big enough deal. To bring in sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd. Yep. Okay. Will there be more debates? 
No, this is it. That was it. That was it. What? And I, and I missed it. Yeah. Okay. When's the election? Does anybody know? <laughs> the primary in June. The, other, the election's oh, in right. November. The primary's in June. Yeah. Right. And then you narrow it down to two. Yes. And it could be two Democrats, or it could be, it could be whoever's the top two. Yeah. Two or Republicans, we, perhaps. We're talking about the NBA playoffs? Why does this take so long? Yeah, yeah no kidding. Are there any porn stars running this time? Uh, what do we got next? We're going to talk about Google, Google's new responsibility pledge. Google wants you to know they're not Facebook. According to a lot of people, they're worse. But we'll talk to Haley Tsukiyama of the WAPO about it on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We'll get to this coming up. Cool thing they did in the money section of USA Today. They asked um, your your three best brains out there, uh, Alexa, Siri, and your Google Assistant, all the same questions and saw who could answer them and who couldn't. Hmm. And for, in what way? For instance, read my latest Gmail email. <clears throat> Siri could do that for you. Alexa and Google could not. Who was really? Jesus Christ? Siri had an answer, Amazon had an answer, but the godless Google had no answer for Jesus Christ. It's because they're their own god. Mm. Mm. Or something. False idols. Or their code just isn't good. Haley Tsukiyama, tech reporter for the Washington Post, joins us. The headline was at Google Responsibility, in quotes, upstages new technology, or that's what they'd have you believe at any rate. Hello, Haley, how are you? <laughs> I'm fine, how are you? Excellent. So a bit of a PR push at Google, huh? Yes, I think uh, you know some of the talk about uh, some of the controversy around what tech companies should be doing in terms of helping us, you know, deal with uh, with compulsive phone use is starting to land. So we certainly saw a, a reaction to that yesterday. Interesting, and of course the whole Facebook story. Well, I'll tell you this: as the the biggest radio show in Silicon Valley and the West, Haley. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, we <laughs> every time this sort of stuff comes up, you we, could have Googled it. We <laughs> we get a lot of the people involved in it weighing in and writing us emails and then texting us and the rest of it. And as we were uh, putting the whip to Facebook for their data sins, we had a lot of people say, "Guys, you're right about that, but remember, Google collects way more than Facebook does." So, you know, I'm sure they're concerned about that PR as well. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> you may be shocked to hear that it was it was uh, very little said about privacy. There was a lot sort of said about offering people options to, you know, limit their phone use and stuff like that. Of course, they didn't really dig into what, if any, data they're collecting uh, on how people are limiting their phone use, stuff like that. So definitely more questions to be asked uh, well, that I have asked, but we haven't had answers yet. Interesting. When, when Google or Facebook or any of these people say something like, we're more concerned with responsibility than we are making money or this or that, is anybody believe that? <laughs> or is there any reason to believe that? Well, let me see. Um, you know, I think there I think that, you know, these companies obviously have their own priorities uh, making money. Um, I think when they see that consumers, you know, when it's hard for them to make money off people who don't want them to, uh, to you know, they've, if people have problems with their practices, you know, sometimes those, uh, those priorities align. But 
I would have uh, a lot of trouble kind of believing that they would go beyond what they feel like they have to do just to, to make them. Right. Well, and well right. said. So, so listen, we, we kind of jumped to some of the big questions. Uh, some of the announcements that were made at the annual developer conference were pretty interesting, uh, like the new set of controls on the Android operating system that are trying to help people not like be addicted phone freaks. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it, it's really interesting. So they call this the digital well-being uh, kind of set of of, uh, of controls. And you can, for example, set time limits on certain apps. Uh, you get a little report on your phone use at the end of the day. Which Boy, that's a good one. That's a good one. You know, yeah. you know what that reminds me of? We were talking about this yesterday, the... Uh uh, the calorie counts on menus, mm-hmm. um, where you know I go to look at something at Starbucks and I see, oh, geez, that uh, that bagel is that many calories. I, I think I won't. Um, I see at the end of the day I spent this many hours on my phone. That might actually make me cut back. Yeah. What other limits and tools did they introduce or talk about? Um, there was a pretty interesting one that they call wind down mode, um, which means that uh, sort of at the end of the day, you glass of wine, and your phone will go. Oh, if only. Um, your phone will go into grayscale so that it's a little less, you know, I think all of us have reached for our phones at the end of the night and just kept scrolling and kept doing stuff. So they're hoping that if they take the color away, it'll be a little less exciting. Yeah, I tried the grayscale. I did that for actually for like a month or so, and um, I didn't see it have any effect on me. I just en- I did it as much. I just didn't enjoy it as much. Is all I got out of it. Oh, well, maybe you need to make it more painful. Like make it like bright flashes of light occasionally that are blinding and actually Ah! physically. Right. You made it less fun, but it's still too fun. So some of these apps will, after a certain amount of time, they'll they'll shut down like you've you've used up your time, that sort of thing. Yep. You can set time limits on apps. Um, Also, sort of separately but related, apparently YouTube is going to start. Um, saying, you know, do you want to take a little break? Which I think is is a rather funny uh, (laughs) control that they're adding in there. You've spent a lot of time looking at cat videos. You think you got anything else to do? (laughs) Yeah. I I need mine uh, pitched a little towards sarcasm and judgmentalism, (laughs) uh, if I can do that. Haley Tsukiyama is the tech reporter for the Washington Post. uh, You only get so many days on Earth, and you're spending a lot of this one looking at these videos. You maybe really ought to rethink that. Wow. Wow. Uh, Hey, uh, quick turn to our producer, Sean. Was that uh, audio you played us earlier, was that Google's assistant? Yes, it was. Can we can we play that really quickly? Because Haley, in your article, you talk about their uh, leaps forward in AI and Google Assistant. Um, are, is that ready? Mm-hmm. Let's listen to it together. Can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May third. Sure, give me one second. So the uh, the gal trying to book the appointment is actually Google Assistant, which is wild. I guess that wasn't a question, yeah, so you don't know what you're supposed. The insertion of the, I think the insertion of the um really is the is the part that uh, honestly kind of shook me a little bit when I was listening to it. Yeah, so uh, it's really really good and sounds like a human. I can't quite understand why we why do we want to fool anybody? Is there anything wrong with just having a computer voice call up and book appointments? Um, I mean, I think that's a, a really good question. Um, I, you know, actually, my first job was as a receptionist, and I, I sort of dread the thought of, of talking to uh, as anybody might, you know, at my age at that point, having to talk to a bunch of robots trying to schedule a hair appointment. Oh, right. No um, kidding. On the, 
I'm sorry, there's a little delay. On the other hand, it is so clearly beyond, if you would like to ask questions about your account, say account. Then you say account, and it says, oh, I see you want to register a complaint. You know, uh, Do you want to register a complaint? Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't hear that. Yes. I'm sorry, I didn't. Yes! So now you have a computer saying, Joe's hair is getting shaggy. He needs a haircut. Um, Do you have an opening on Tuesday? So at least, you know, we've got that going for us. Haley Sukiyama, tech reporter for the Washington Post. Should we all be very afraid? Is that the uh, overall oh, thing? Jeez. <laughs> I don't even really know how to answer yeah. that. You don't no, and you shouldn't. <laughs> Haley, I'm sorry. You're you're so good and it's just it was this was bad. Uh, but it's it's really interesting. Hey, it's great to talk to you as always. Thanks. Pleasure. Thank you. All right. See you later. Yeah, that's the last time she will ever talk to us. (laughs) Nice job. (laughs) You know, she's from Minnesota. I was just looking at her thing. She's Minnesota nice. Yep. And, uh, you know, she didn't have time for our act. She's afraid to, well, not afraid, but too kind to say, this interview is both humiliating and irrelevant, and I will have none of it. Goodbye. Click. The questions are dumb. The responses are dumb. Some of the questions aren't even questions. What do you want me to say now? <laughs> Our text line is 415-295-KFTC. We are going to get into the Cohen, Russian oligarch, lots of money, Trump thing. Grr. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Yeti Show.